Thank you for tuning into Weathering the Storm podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. That's scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, our goal is to help us weather the storms of life by looking to and sustaining an unwavering faith in God. Here is your host, Drew Suttles. Hello and welcome to Weathering the Storm, a podcast where we strive to weather the storms of life by sustaining an unwavering faith in God. I'm your host, Drew Suttles. I'm so thankful to be with you today. I'm looking forward to today's episode as we are in season three and we are recording episode nine today. So again, just very excited about this, excited for every opportunity I have to open up the Word of God to study and to share uh, share it with others. And so I appreciate you listening in today. I certainly hope that this episode will help you in some way to weather the storm. Before we dive into this, again, I want to remind you uh, that Weathering the Storm is now on the Scattered Abroad Network. If you haven't already, go and like us on Facebook, find us on Instagram, and, and please pray for this effort as we are striving to spread the gospel to as many people as possible. Uh, in this season, we are looking at biblical examples. Uh, we're looking at individuals who faced difficult times, individuals who had to weather the different storms, the trials of life, and by looking to their example, hopefully we can find the encouragement uh, to weather the storms that we face today. In our last episode, we examined Elijah. We talked about the fact that Elijah was one who had to weather the storm of depression and anxiety and loneliness, uh, one who definitely faced a difficult time but was able to overcome because God reassured him that he was not alone and that God would provide for him He was able to move forward and encourage Elisha, and certainly we think about Elijah and the wonderful work that he did, and so we can see how he was able to overcome, and hopefully it'll help us. But today we want to examine the example of Ezra. If you have your Bibles with you and you're in a place where you can open open them up, I invite you to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. And while you're opening to that passage, I want to give you a thesis, if you will, a theme behind the the episode today, and I believe it's very, very relevant to us in our world right now. Our goal is to examine how Ezra stayed faithful to God, even though the people, the leaders, and the rulers around him were living in sin. I don't have to tell you that our world, from a moral standpoint, is in a very dark place right now. Specifically here in the United States of America, the moral decline is is very evident. We see sin being glorified. We see all kinds of different sins being presented as if everything's okay. For example, we see homosexuality on the commercials, on sitcoms, on new shows, and it's being glorified, it's being praised. We see drunkenness being laughed at as something... Uh, That's just, everybody does it. It's okay. It's just a part of our culture. We see the man cowering down to the woman when the man is to step up and be the spiritual leader of the home. And so again, we think about morality and the the difficulty of of living in this world right now as a child of God. Uh, No doubt the whole world lies in wickedness, as John wrote. And at times we can be very discouraged, striving to live a pure and holy, faithful Christian life in a world that is living in sin. So I'm hoping that this episode today will be relevant 
something that we can take with us and that will help us uh, to live godly lives as we find in Titus chapter 1 verses 11 and Titus 2 rather 11 and 12 that we find in Titus 2 11 and 12 the grace of God uh, has appeared to all men bringing salvation teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present age so in this world we as Christians need to be distinctive and live holy lives for God. Let's think about this example of Ezra. In Ezra chapter 7, and verse 8, we find that Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, in the seventh year of the king. And it said that he, uh, on the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. On the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. And then verse 10 of Ezra 7 uh, helps us to learn a lot about him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So first we see that he prepared his heart. He got his heart right, his mind right, and he prepared it to seek the law of the Lord. It wasn't just to seek it. It wasn't just this, this thirst for this knowledge, but also the application. He wanted to do it. And then after doing what God wanted him to do, he wanted to teach it to others. And that's the biblical formula right there. 2 Timothy 2, 2. Paul said, The things you've heard of me, uh, of me among many faithful witnesses, the same teach the faithful men who will teach others also. In Mark 16, 15, Go and preach the gospel to every creature. So we see this formula here uh, that, that Ezra uh, lived by, and we certainly can follow that example. But as we continue on in this text, we think about who Ezra was, and we know that he was a ready scribe. That's what we find in verses 1 through 6, uh, that he came up from Babylon. He was very skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And even though he was striving to do what was right, there were many around him who were engaged in sin, who were engaged in ungodliness, specifically the intermarriage with pagans. This is something that God uh, had told them. You read the book of Deuteronomy, uh, specifically there in chapter 12, uh, chapters 7, and, and a host of other passages, you find over and over again that God says, do not marry outside of that. Do not marry the pagans. Do not intermarry with them. It's going to cause problems. Well, that's what was taking place. And so how would Ezra respond to these things? Let's look specifically at chapter 9. In verses 1 through 4, notice with me that the sinful actions of the people broke his heart. The sinful actions of the people broke his heart. Look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 9. When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers has been foremost in this trespass. And so the leaders and the rulers were the ones who were doing this. They were leading the charge, if you will, of this ungodliness. Verse 3 tells us how Ezra responded. 
So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. Notice some of the language there. He tore his garments. This is a sign of, of great grief that we find throughout the scriptures. He fasted. He didn't want to eat or drink anything. He was so disgusted with the sin around him. In fact, it says he was ashamed. He was astonished. He was humiliated to even be in this society of all this sin and ungodliness. Before we get to the application, let's, let's consider these next two points. But hold on to that thought, that the sinful actions really bothered him. It broke his heart. Number two, what did Ezra do as he's trying to weather this storm of trying to live a godly life in an ungodly society? He turned to God in prayer on behalf of the people. Look at verse five. At the evening sacrifice, I arose from my fasting and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads. Our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation, as it is this day. Now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape, to give us a peg in his holy place, that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall of Judah and Jerusalem. You hear this, this prayer that, that Ezra is uttering. He is turning to God on behalf of the people, praying for them. But notice he says, us, our. He includes himself in this because he is so deeply hurt and moved by it that he wants to make sure that God knows that they are sorry for what has taken place, that he's coming to God the right way. And so we continue reading this in verse 13. After all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, O our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve, what a statement. And that's true of us as well. Should we again break your commandments and join in marriage with the people committing these abominations? Would you be angry with us until you had consumed us so there'd be no remnant or survivor? And notice how this prayer ends. O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant as it is this day. Here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. We think about how sin bothered him. It bothered him to the point that all he knew to do was to turn to God and pray on behalf of the people. That God would show mercy, that God would forgive them because of the sin, because of the, the horrible actions that were taking place. And so as Ezra's trying to weather the storm, he, he turns to the shelter. 
He turns to the only one who, who could provide solace in the storm, and that's God. And so we think about these two things. The sinful actions of the people broke his heart, and he turned to God in prayer. That was the, how he responded. But here's a third and final point before we jump to the application. His actions encourage those around him to change. His actions encourage those around him to change. Look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Now, while Ezra was praying, while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. In verse 2, we have an individual coming and says, We have trespassed against our God. We have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them, according to the advice of my master, and those who tremble at the commandment of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. As you jump down to verse 18, you find that they acted on this. Among the sons of the priests who had taken pagan wives, the following were found of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and his brothers. And they gave their promise that they would put away their wives. And being guilty, they presented a ram of the flock of their trespass offerings. And so by Ezra's godliness, by his faithfulness, others were encouraged to make things right. And by seeing how he responded to that and how much it hurt him, and by seeing how he went to God, they in turn did the same thing. They came to him and said, we have done wrong. This is on us. We want to make it right. And so Ezra prayed on their behalf, but then we see them acting in the way God wanted them to, offering up this offering to God, this trespass offering, and actually putting away their wives, getting rid of that sin, and striving to do the right thing. Now, there's so much that we can learn from this example of Ezra, how he weathered the storm. But I'd like to share three quick points of application with you. And again, I hope this will be helpful uh, as we, as, as God's people, as, as we strive to live godly lives in this world of ungodliness, uh, how this will help us weather the storm. Number one, sin ought to bother us. Sin ought to bother us. If something bothers God, it ought to bother us. We need to love what God loves and hate what God hates. For example, Proverbs 6, 16 through 18. A lying tongue, a proud look, hands that shed innocent blood. Brethren and friends who may be listening to this, we cannot support abortion because God doesn't. We cannot support the shedding of innocent blood because God detests that. God hates that. How could we be supportive of that? That ought to bother us. The fact that millions of innocent babies are being murdered in this country ought to bother us. The fact that homosexuality is being glorified ought to bother us. Why? Because it bothers God. Sin ought to bother us. And I'm afraid that many in our society, like those in Jeremiah's day, can't even blush. Can't even blush at the sin. Let's make sure as God's people that we never get used to sin. Even though it's around us, 
It should always bother us. Number two, we ought to pray for the lost, especially leaders and rulers. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we have this, this statement made by the Apostle Paul to Timothy that we are to pray for leaders, pray for kings, all those who are in authority, that we may lead a, a quiet and peaceable life and that they ultimately may hear the truth and come to God. God desires all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Again, that's 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, independent, regardless of what it is, whoever is in office, we have an obligation and a responsibility to pray for them. Now, you may not agree with what they're, they're doing. You may not uh, respect that individual, but we ought to respect the office. You think about some of the ungodly rulers in the first century. Think about praying for Nero. And yet, it's God's people. Even though we do not uh, endorse, we do not appreciate, we do not respect their positions, their lifestyle, we ought to pray for them. And pray that there will be an opportunity for them to hear the truth because they need the gospel. A third and final point of application. By doing right, we can encourage others to stop doing the wrong. We see Ezra and the way that he responded to it, and others were encouraged to make things right. You know, by us reflecting the light of Christ to the world, we can provide hope to so many. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and following, Jesus said, You're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. By us reflecting the light of Christ and by us being different and standing up for truth, standing up for what's right, we can encourage those around us to see that and turn to God. And I hope that, that that's exactly what we'll do. We are in the world, but we must not be of the world. Let's make sure that we're doing more to help influence others in a positive way than we are being influenced by all the negativity in our world. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope and pray that, that this episode will help all of us to have the proper response, approach to sin, and that sin will bother us. The sinful actions of those around us will bother us. But like Ezra, let's turn to God in prayer and let's make sure that we are taking care of ourselves, that we're doing what is right, that we are striving to set the right example. Even when everybody else may be doing wrong, let's make sure that we're doing right. And ultimately, that God may be glorified. That ought to be our purpose behind that. Again, I appreciate you listening today and I hope that this episode in some way will help you to weather the storm. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms, and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.